0: Welcome to the Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the weekly edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. I'm Philip Webster. I edit the Times Red Box Daily Bulletin and the Red Box website. We have Oliver Cam, Times leader, writer, and columnist, Lucy Fisher, senior political correspondent of the Times, and Michael Savage, chief political correspondent of the Times.
1: Jeremy Corbyn has accused the Chief of Defence Staff, Sir Nicholas Houghton, of political bias for intervening on the question of Britain's nuclear deterrent. The claim is absurd. A measure of the frivolity of Corbyn's own stance, rather than any extra-constitutional manoeuvring by the armed forces. Every post-war government has supported Britain's nuclear deterrent and our participation in NATO. That is the policy of the Labour Party itself, regardless of Corbyn's own views. Corbyn's parliamentary colleagues know that the voters will never trust a party that is weak on defence and they should flatly contradict their leader's whims.
2: Britain is facing a crisis of confidence in foreign policy, sidelined in Syria, ineffective in Ukraine, unwilling in Europe and inimical towards refugees. That was the damning verdict of some of the UK's most senior former diplomats, intelligence officers and academics in a report published on Monday. But do we want a broader international strategy, or is the government's narrower pursuit of soft power, trade and aid a more suitable foreign policy for the 21st century?
3: The future is uncertain for UKIP and the Lib Dems as they battle it out for the title of Britain's fourth party. UKIP's 122nd places at the last election should give them hope, but can they keep it together after the EU referendum? The Lib Dems were put to the sword at the election, but is there any way back for a party that can fit all its MPs into a minivan? Well, let's kick off with um,
0: Labour. It's very hard to keep Jeremy Corbyn out of the uh, out of the news these days. Oliver Cam, you've you've said that um, Nicholas Houghton was quite within his rights to um, to say what he did on uh, on Trident, but there has been some surprising backing for Corbyn from uh, other areas. I noticed that Crispin Blunt, who's the Conservative chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. This morning has said he's a little bit out of order to have done what he's
1: done wasn't there a bit of politicking going on there by the uh, the defense chief? No, he was asked a direct question about operational matters, namely whether deterrent is actually feasible in the case that a prime minister declares in advance that it will never be that its use will never be authorized and he gave the correct answer in fact, the general was Defending Labour Party policy for what it's worth. Um, (laughs) Jeremy Corbyn has managed. You you suggest, Phil, that um, Jeremy Corbyn has received unexpected backing. In fact, he's forged a national consensus, namely that he really isn't capable of doing the job of leader of the opposition and his positions are alien to the ethos, the history, the traditions of the Labour Party. As we point out, as the Times points out in its leader today on the subject, um, Labour was instrumental in founding NATO, in grounding Britain's defence in collective security in the transatlantic alliance. And this is a leader who's totally out of line with the traditions of Clement Attlee and Ernest Bevin. Uh, His position makes no strategic sense, and it is widely derided by Labour MPs who should say so. In fact, they do say so.
0: Uh, and as, I think, as you pointed out, that um, when they have had this as their election policy, it's been a total disaster in the past.
1: Labour, twice in my adult lifetime, went to the polls on a manifesto of unilateral nuclear disarmament in 1983 and 1987. It lost by more than 100 seats, or the Tories had, a—I should say, the Tories had an absolute majority of more than 100 seats in each election. Labour's problem was not, in that case, an incredible manifesto and weak leadership, uh, though those were big problems. The problem was it was not trusted on defence. Michael,
0: what's going to happen on this policy? This is one where Corbyn just can't, can't push his policy through the party, surely?
3: Well, it's a really fascinating one, actually, because in his conference speech, of course, it was the one thing he suggested that his huge mandate from the leadership suggested he could, uh, he really had a right to change the party's policy on Trident, or at least try to. To. What's fascinating, I think, about what's emerging around Jeremy Corbyn, there's obviously been a, a lot of talk on his radical positions on anything from the economy to defence, but actually what's emerging is a picture of a man slightly paralysed by the office. And actually we've not seen any big moves in terms of Labour policy. That's partly because key figures in the Labour Party are trying to box him in. We've seen several sort of organised attempts to do that at conference and since. But actually I'm starting to wonder at what point will Corbyn's own supporters really push him into some action over something like mm.
0: Trident. Lucy, what do you
3: think? Do you think the
0: general was was overstepping the mark or um
2: uh, Was he right
0: <clears throat> to do what he did?
2: No, I have to say I'm afraid, um Oliver, I, I disagree with you. I think he was totally out of place. Um you know, if if Jeremy Corbyn's arguments are so weak and the claims so absurd, then surely it should be easy um, for anyone to knock them down. But to my mind, it is the the rightful place of democratically elected politicians um, to make those arguments. I think it's. It's an interesting transition time at the moment, as, as, as Michael says, you know, the membership perhaps is going to want to see some movement on this. And, and we might have it sooner than we think. The, uh, there are rumours going around in Westminster that the SNP may use their Opposition Day debate on November the 24th to force a vote on Trident. And, and obviously the PLP are going to vote against, um, uh, rebel against um, Corbyn's wishes. But this could lead to policy formation being taken to all the entire membership. And I think we might start seeing not just votes of selected delegates at party conference, but entire membership votes so Corbyn can can get these kind of policies through.
0: But do we think that if this one was taken to the membership, despite Corbyn's big support in the membership... Is this one where the membership would overrule the PLP? What do you think? Not um, a chance, not a
1: chance. Uh, And Lucy, with great respect to my esteemed colleague, Lucy says, uh, a democratically elected leader, Jeremy Corbyn is on his own. He's way out on a limb. He is contradicting Labour Party policy and he is opposing the entire history, post-war history of the Labour Party, only twice um, in its history, in the 1980s and yeah. the 1930s, when uh, Labour had a, a, an even more ineffectual leader than Corbyn, um, George Lansbury. Uh, uh, <laughs> Labour has, 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 has proposed flatly incredible defence policies and it's been hammered. It's lost public respect, never mind public support. And the moment you do that, you're
3: not a serious politician, you're not a serious opposition. I just wonder. Uh when you take a step back, we should probably all celebrate that the fact that lifelong pacifist Jeremy Corbyn and the <laughs> Chief of the Defence Staff disagree on this because if they hadn't, all politics, as you know, it might grind to a halt. <laughs> there is also a strategic question about whether Corbyn should have intervened and come out and said that the General had overstepped the, the mark, but actually that's why he was elected, because people didn't like the sort of strategising that they associated with New Labour. And
0: it, and I suppose he can present this as as the establishment ganging ganging up on on him again.
3: Yes, and it's also his view. Yeah, that's um, what he thinks.
0: On on another Labour area that we've uh, we've seen highlighted, uh, his um, his policy chief is now facing uh, ejection from the party because he's been urging people to vote for other parties. I mean, how can he have got into this position?
3: Yeah, no, this is a this is an interesting one because uh, this is Andrew Fisher, a policy chief, who, who tweeted in support of another candidate at an election, which is a big no-no in terms of Labour rules. It's very clear you're not allowed to do that. There's been a complaint and now that's been investigated. What I think is interesting here now is, is there an issue between the leader's office and... Labour headquarters in Brewers Green, i.e. the people who are in charge of the machinery of Labour, that's Ian McNichol, the General Mm -hmm. Secretary. Is he now wary of some of the people that Corbyn is appointing? Is he worried about Labour's reputation? (coughs) Because if that becomes an issue, if there's an issue between Labour headquarters and the Labour leadership, you really do have all sorts of problems internally. And is this where Tom Watson then has to step in and sort it out? Tom Watson is a key figure. He's also very close to Ian McNichol. So it might well fall to him, yeah. Tom Watson is absolutely essential in this. He's um,
1: a bruiser. He has many, many critics and enemies, but he has the capability, if anyone does, of kicking sense into the leadership. And Corbyn's appointments to his office have been generally preposterous. Um, Seamus Milne is head of communications who has been appointed uh, from the Guardian, or on leave from the Guardian, who... um, as comment editor of that newspaper, actually ran a piece from Osama bin Laden. Uh, His his politics are way outside the mainstream of the left. Andrew Fisher, as Michael just said, has tweeted support for uh, candidates opposed to the Labour Party and um, James Meadway a, uh, a, 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 mooted as a uh, an economics advisor uh, is a former member of the Socialist Workers Party a depraved Leninist sect that is not so much anti-war as anti-American, anti-British <laughs> and not coincidentally anti-Semitic and was opposing my friend Una King, now Baroness King as Labour candidate for Bethnal Green and Bow uh, when she was opposed by George Galloway in 2005. These People are unfit to hold membership of the Labour Party, let alone be anywhere in policy making. And Corbyn has got to be told that. Lucy, I
0: don't think Oliver's too keen on the uh, people no. around um, uh, around Corbyn. But uh, coming back to Tom Watson, he's got a bit of a form when uh, in in dealing with. Um with leaders um, who may be growing unpopular in the party. I mean, what do you think? Is he going to? Is he going to be the um, the king killer in the end?
2: Well, I think in the end he, he is what um, some of the better operators um, among the PLP realise that he he will be a central figure in any potential coup if one comes to pass. He's in a difficult position. I think he probably hopes it would be any of the other candidates would um, would would have won the labor leadership and then he could have been the left wing figure he's mm. has very close relations although tricky relations with the unions but i think even tom watson will realize that corbyn at this juncture does have this overwhelming mandate that's the really key problem here for any of the moderates and centrists no one can speak you know, to the fact that he has 60% of um, of, the, of the membership of the party. It's not just the newcomers, the £3 supporters or the affili- affiliated trade unionists. It's the it's the long-term supporters as well, back Corbyn.
0: And, and Oliver, if, they, if anyone did try to depose him at this precise moment, there's, there must be a chance that they'd vote him back in.
1: Yes, I think it's likely. I've had this argument at length with um, my my good friend and colleague Phil Collins, Times columnist, who is a Labour supporter and who is as uh, all of us who who count ourselves left of centre must be absolutely appalled at the abdication of the Labour Party, the historic force of left of centre government uh, and opposition in this country, abdicating political seriousness. Um, The problem is, and Lucy's quite right to say it, Corbyn has a mandate. Unfortunately, that really can't be allowed to override the good sense and judgement of the Parliamentary Labour Party who've got to get him out. The one uh, encouraging thing about this whole fiasco is that Corbyn isn't just extreme and alien to the ethos of the Labour Party, he's grotesquely
3: incompetent and that will make it easier. Just one word in, in defence of Jeremy Corbyn's <laughs> staff, if I if I dare. Um, and that's just the appointment of, of, of Seamus, uh, Seamus Milne. I take the point he's written some very Uh, controversial columns in the past. I just make this point, that actually Corbyn's problem and that of his office has been they've been unable to lift their eyes from the day-to-day because there's been so many crises. At least there they have someone, a big thinker, who's at least trying to look beyond tomorrow's headlines into something that might last into next year and the year after. Well, thanks for that. Let's move on to the uh, second
0: item here. We've been um, hearing this week a little bit more about uh, David uh, Cameron's demands from Europe. We know they're not going to satisfy the euro sceptics, whatever he comes back with. Uh, but we've had this report earlier in the week from a group of academics, former diplomats, basically saying that we're failing in our foreign, foreign policy, uh, Lucy. What do you think?
2: I just thought this was um, a really interesting report. It seems to me that for sort of years now, there's been an ongoing debate about whether Britain should try and maintain influence on the world stage or manage decline. And then this report sort of lays out, in, in fairly kind of convincing detail, um, the conclusion that that actually we have become quite insular uh, as a nation. And I think given Britain's um, expertise in many areas, our our expertise in rule of law, in governance, in parliamentary democracy, we should be playing a a bigger role. Um, And I think, as you mentioned, the unwillingness to engage with the EU and and be a kind of full member is part of this bigger problem.
0: Oliver, does that insularity reflect the nature of the British people? I mean, if we were to pull out of the EU and nobody knows how this referendum is going to go, in fact, it it looks far tighter at the moment than maybe we we thought it would is that going to uh, contribute to our decline as a world power?
1: Undoubtedly it will do undoubtedly it will do the British political class has always been in two minds about Europe in the 1970s when we joined um, 1973 when we joined what was then the EEC we did say because that's where the money was And these days, that's where the money isn't. The Eurozone has been um, uh, going through great stresses and ructions. Um, Meanwhile, the British electorate, we're a famously uh, monoglot country. We don't really feel a tie to our European neighbours. In my view, it would be a terrible mistake to withdraw from the European Union because... Um, we won't have the same influence in international affairs, either in economics or in trade or indeed in security policy. None of our close allies want us to leave the EU. And um, we gain influence on the international stage by virtue of our alliances, by virtue of being Part of the European Union, part of the NATO alliance, and indeed part of the United Nations Security Council. But do you think these uh, these uh, the
0: people here, like Pauline Neville Jones and Chris Mayer and people like that? Have they got a point in saying that uh, that Britain has merely been facing up to reality over the last few decades?
1: Oh, certainly, that, 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 that's absolutely right. I mean, Britain has, uh, has 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 lost an empire and not yet found a role, as mm. the as the as, mm. the as the saying goes.
0: Michael, what what you're you're covering it, uh, and so is Lucy every day of the week. How is this European argument going at the moment? It, it seems to me that the sceptics have been making the running. Over the last few weeks, and the, the 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 in campaign is desperately looking for a, a figure that can lead them and capture the imagination. Yes, well, that's of this because case.
3: that's because of the nature of the race they've set up. Of course, we have this sort of farce at the moment where everyone, broadly in the middle of the Tory party, has to pretend they might campaign for out, when everyone <laughs> knows, of course, that David Cameron and um, most ministers will uh, will campaign for in albeit a reformed in on the back of that renegotiation of Britain's membership. So that sets up a dynamic where the out campaign can just get going uh, straight out of the traps and the, the inners, or those who will eventually be the inners, have to wait and hedge their bets. And in the meantime, the people who are campaigning for in look horribly like the people who wanted us to have the euro and all those uh, other things that unsettled the British uh, public in, in earlier years. So the dynamics of the race haven't helped those who want Britain to be in a reformed European Union. But Lucy, the,
0: in the end, this battle could just become a, quite an entertaining one for us. It could become a cabinet battle, couldn't it? If, we, if two or three uh, cabinet ministers and we could name them, uh, or we could name who we think they yeah. are, Decided uh, to go out to in fa- in, in fact for uh, an out, and maybe if uh, one of the uh, leadership contenders Theresa May or Boris Johnson joined that campaign, we then really do have a, a fight for the soul of the country. Andrew,
2: um, absolutely. <coughs> I, you know, I think this is. Um Obviously, uh, a topic of the greatest importance to David Cameron and his legacy. I don't think he is going to let it slide easily, you know, his closest colleagues being against him uh, on the wrong side of the fence on this one. But I think one of the really interesting things to watch um, is, as you say, whether people start using the EU referendum for their own political Mm. gain. For example, uh, as you say... Boris Johnson and Theresa May have both been touted as potential leaders uh, of the out campaign. People suspect that Theresa May certainly um, seems to be to be a Eurosceptic. Boris, a little harder to say. He, he's he's made comments on both sides of the argument over the years. But if it comes down to them looking at their future chances to get on that ballot paper, probably facing uh, off George Osborne to become the next leader taken to the vote of the party membership, I think that will be an interesting uh, race to watch. Yeah.
0: And just coming back to the question of Britain's standing. The way that Cameron is treating the vote on Syria, we don't know if he's going to hold one. I mean, at the moment, the, all the signals are that he won't do a, a vote on Syria because he doesn't yes. think he can necessarily convince the, convince the House. I mean, is that in itself uh, a, 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 an example of the way our leaders are not pushing the country in the, way it, in the way they would have done in the past? We know that Blair Blair went for war in Iraq. With the, with a huge mass of his own party against
1: him, but with a parliamentary with parliamentary support, however, with the help of the Tories, or yes, with, yeah, with yeah, overwhelming yeah. parliamentary support, yes. um, you, you're quite right to point to the uh, you, to, to 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 imply the um, the defeat that David Cameron had on Syria in 2013. That was. I think a very damaging vote to the uh, influence of Britain in world Mm. affairs and an utter catastrophe for the Syrian uh, refugees uh, who've been scattered and dispersed by a bloody autocracy. Um, There's no doubt that uh, David Cameron will not take a vote unless he is absolutely certain that he will uh, have it passed, and uh, I, I think this is a this is a case of um, of, of where Britain's influence um, ha, has suffered in in recent years. May I quickly take up the point of the EU referendum? It's going to be, as you said earlier, Phil. It's going to be a tight one. It's certainly going to be much tighter, or almost certainly going to be much tighter than the um, 1975 referendum on membership of the common market um, then. Only one newspaper wanted Britain out. That was the communist morning star. Now there will be more than one. Mm. And the no campaign, the out campaign, was dominated by people who were to be outside the political mainstream. Tony Benn, Michael Foot, Enoch Powell, to a lesser extent Peter Shaw, who was um, uh, driven mainly by by, uh, by by nationalism in his politics. This time round there are going to be weighty figures on the no side as well as some pretty wacky ones like mm. Nigel Farage. As a mm. Europhile myself, I want to hear more from Mr Farage. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Michael. I just want to come back to this idea of of, of Britain's, Britain's place, especially in relation to the use of force overseas, our role as a, a world policeman alongside the US. Uh, the chief of the defence staff, just to go back to him in his BBC interview this weekend... He was also asked about this, and he said he did think there was a a growing awareness uh, or wariness among the public about the justification of force overseas. And you can't, I don't think, underestimate the importance of of Iraq in that. And I'm not here talking about the million people who took to the streets or people who made up their mind beforehand. It's much more that, that almost larger group of people who... Put their faith in authority to know they were doing, and then felt left down afterwards. Mm. I think that is the big, that's the uh, the big hangover at the moment.
2: I hear what you say, Michael, but I also think. The lack of appetite for even, you know, humanitarian-focused action, you know, to create safe havens or no-fly zones within Syria, I find it so surprising. I think British people aren't quite as insular uh, as all that. I think things like the internet and connectivity, the fact that we can see all these very harrowing pictures of refugees, people, you know, bombs, um, chemical weapons used on them, It just surprises me that we don't invoke right to protect, which seems um, Mm. a very valid Mm. justification to to my mind.
1: Yes, I I certainly agree with that. The the problem is that the costs of the Iraq war, humanitarian, um, military, economic, were very obvious. The costs of inaction are much more diffuse. And there seems little doubt to me that... The, the response of the United States and its allies to uh, President Assad's war on a captive population is one of the great foreign policy failures of my lifetime. It is analogous to and perhaps more destructive than the failure, as I said in a column for us last week... Um, The failure in the 1990s to come to the aid of, uh, not the Bosnian Muslims as people had it, but the Bosnian government, the multi-ethnic Bosnian constitutional authority at the hands of genocidal nationalism uh, from Slobodan Milosevic, that was a terrible failure of foreign policy in which uh, a one-sided arms embargo uh, was not counteracted by you know, humanitarian aid, and um, I, I, I think Syria is 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 a still more catastrophic failure. Where even uh, the failure to uh, uh, to secure safe havens on the Turkish border, as Turkey was proposing earlier in the conflict, to ensure that there was some safe space for Syria's uh, Syria's refugees, I, I think is a, is, a, is, a, is
3: is is a terrible indictment. And, of course, the refugee crisis uh, that's hit Europe this summer is one of the very obvious consequences of not dealing with that issue. Yeah.
0: Right, let's move on to the third item... What future for UKIP? What future for the Lib Dems, Michael?
3: Yes. Now, I bring this up without having any answers whatsoever. And after the year we've had where talking heads, dare I say, like those around this table got most political things completely wrong, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, from the Labour leadership to the general election result, uh, I hesitate to make predictions. It's only this, that both parties have huge question marks around them. With the Lib Dems obviously now only eight MPs, absolutely no momentum behind them whatsoever... You would have thought uh, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour leadership could present an opportunity, maybe Tim Farron isn't the right candidate to to present a sort of left of centre alternative to a, a Corbyn Labour. And with UKIP, uh, well, uh, they've got 122nd places at the election. Could they kick on? Well, actually, they were quite far behind in a lot of those seats. And after the EU referendum, do they really have a future? So my big question for both is, uh, who's going to be the fourth party? Because it's not clear to me at all at the moment. And Lucy, you, you've, um, we're, we're going to see how
0: UKIP are doing quite shortly. You've, mm-hmm. been, uh, you've been to Oldham. Are they, are they sort of dug in for second place there? Or um, what's your feeling?
2: I think they are. I think it is probably a two-horse race but um, I think it's been characterised incorrectly in the media, but everyone talks about it as Jeremy Corbyn's first big test. In actual fact, Labour are defending 15, almost 15,000-vote 15, yeah. majority. Yes. It's not really a test for him. I feel quite confident in, in saying you know, Labour, Labour will sweep this fairly easily. How UKIP does um, it, it is the key question. It really is a, is a test for Nigel Farage and his party. Last October, uh, in another by-election, in a next-door seat, UKIP came within 617 votes Of victory and are we going to see anything like that Haywood and Middleton uh, exactly are we going to see anything like that that sort of fierce contest here I I doubt it but it'll be it'll be interesting to watch on on the ground
0: yeah and and and, Oliver the interesting for for UKIP is is they've got their referendum but what are they going to do afterward
1: I think it will be extremely damaging for them Uh, my best guess is that Britain will remain within the EU as a result of the referendum. I can argue the reasons why I think that, but we'll leave that to one side. If that is the result, then I don't think UKIP has any prospect of being like the SNP, buoyed by a respectable referendum showing and then being um, yeah. and uh, holding on, its yeah. regional redoubts and, um, and, 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 and and being part of devolved government. UKIP isn't like that at all. It's a protest movement based on um, dislike of foreigners. Its leader is, who I've debated uh, myself, uh, not even his closest friends would say, a, a grasp of technical detail is his strongest point. He's actually quite quite easy to pin down and um, UKIP itself is riven with disputes at the head of the party. Its sole MP quite clearly doesn't agree with its leader on just about anything Mm. other than a no vote in the referendum. Everything is up in the air in British politics because of the weakness of the Labour Party. And in my view, it's a um, catastrophic decision to go with a leader who uh, is bound to fail. At the same time, I think the Lib Dems and UKIP are in a terribly weak position mm. as well. Um, and it's all, all very good news for the Conservative Party. Mm.
0: You mentioned Michael uh, about the choice of leader. I mean, would it have been any different if they'd have, if if they they would still only have eight MPs? Whether if they'd picked Norman Lamb, who is seen as more of a centrist figure, who might have offered an alternative for left-leaning conservatives, yeah. uh, right-leaning Labourites.
3: Indeed, Norman Lamb would be the more obvious choice if you were going for a sort of more sort of centre-left uh, liberal. Uh, alternative to Corbyn. But you're right, the wider problem is they've got eight MPs. Uh, They were totally destroyed at the election. And as I said before, politics is so much about momentum. And there is absolutely no momentum that I can see around the Lib Dems at the moment. You know, the first conference after the election defeat, they uh, started talking about possible defections from Labour. And that to me was a complete strategic mistake, because First of all, it was implausible, if anything. It seemed more likely... We haven't likely, seen many yet, have we? It's, it would seem more likely that in yeah. Corbin mania you'd see people going the other way, actually. And I just wonder, the best thing that can be done for the Lib Dems is to, uh, away from the gaze of the cameras, rebuild in the way they did before at local level. May is really important for them. Council elections, regain their base, regain a bit of self-respect and then try and get that momentum moving because five years is a long time.
0: Yes, May is a very important... Uh Deadline for for UKIP as well, isn't it? They'll be hoping to to show reasonably well in the various elections we have in May. How how long, Lucy, do you think Farage is going to carry on? Oh, I think
2: he'll go on and on and on. I mean, UKIP is
0: even if they end up on the wrong side of the euro referendum in the end.
2: Uh, I I think so. I think he he has a real sense of entitlement over the party. I don't think he's going to let go easily, and he's. Even when you meet him or hear him speak, you know, I feel a sense of this sort of megalomania comes across. He believes um, that a lot of the supporters have come to the party only because of him, not, not even um, what UKIP purportedly stands for. So I don't think we'll see him stepping down anytime time soon.
0: And, uh, Oliver, the Lib Dems, I suppose they count as the fourth party at the moment, but if, if I ask you to predict who will be the third party, at the 2020 election, who will it be?
1: My best guess is it will be the Lib Dems. Uh, I, I Overtaken other, the Other SM? than the SNP. No, 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 no sorry, right. I misheard you. The, the, the SMP, that was my of course, trick question. The SNP, <laughs> of course, will be the third party. The, I, I, I was mentally absorbed in the battle between the Lib Dems <laughs> and UKIP. I think the Lib Dems uh, are basically uh, 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 finished as a serious force in politics other than as a ginger group much as much as the liberal party was for most of the post war period with half a dozen up to 10 MPs uh, concentrated in uh Sources of traditional regional strength like the West Country, uh, perhaps they'll get one or two back in Scotland. Um, but um, it, 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 Tim Farron is is um, is a leader by default, not even the strongest of the candidates for the Liberal Democrat leadership, and um, and, and 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 they've really got no chance of peeling away uh, the moderate core of the Labour Party, which is going to bide its time and wait to push Corbyn out, in my view. I hope it's uh, that's the right course and I hope it's sooner rather than later.
3: Michael, last word to you. I would just say that, um, uh, as we said before, it provides a huge opportunity for the Conservative Party Um, both uh, uh, Corbyn's uh, election as Labour leader, weakness of the Lib Dems the question is for all political parties can they not do stupid things over and over again and time and again we see uh, political parties doing stupid things With the Conservative Party have this tax credits issue which uh, totally undermines this idea that they're the new workers party, they need to sort that out even the trade union bill There's a lot of quite pernicious uh, laws in there, things about cutting Labour's funding, just stuff that the Tories really didn't need to do Mm. if they wanted to prove they were a centrist party. So they're making a few mistakes, but clearly uh, it's there to to be won in 2020 for them.
0: Okay, well, thanks to my guests, Michael Savage, Lucy Fisher and Oliver Cam. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe via iTunes if you haven't done already. I'm going to plug Redbox. The way to sign up is thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up and head to thetimes.co.uk for more information. Thanks again for listening and come back next week. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.